0: This is Chris Osborne from Play Comics, and you are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I speak with my buddy Wayne. Wayne is a paleontologist and also an author. He writes fiction books at the moment, Um, and... We basically have two brilliant chats. Um, This one is to do with his books and about him being an author, some of the sort of things that motivated him to becoming an author, as well as going deeper into some more important issues. Um, We talk about the concept of good versus evil and morality and immorality, uh, societal issues, as well as changing the world with ideas and individualism. Um, And towards the end um, of the podcast as well, Wayne just says this real great inspirational almost like a speech You know, when he's uh, promoting the book which is well worth the listen just on its own really um but as i say with this even though wayne is north and we do talk about his books uh, to a fair degree um even if you're not necessarily that interested in, in buying the book or anything like that it's it's really worth just listening in just the conversation's great is we don't just talk about the book that's the main kind of thing i'm rambling and wittering on about is trying to kind of hit home is this is one of those great chats because even if you're not interested in the book per se uh a i think it'll make you interested in the book because it well both books they they sound fantastic um but also we go deeper into sort of being human in a sense and that sort of thing um yeah so the podcast will start up in a moment uh and also next week um i'll be it's another chat with wayne but as i said at the start uh, we talk about paleontology so um you know that's the as wayne described it is the the time period between sort of the start of time essentially on earth all the way up to uh, recorded history of humans or human history um so And that chat is absolutely phenomenal as well, so definitely check out this one and definitely the next one. The, the, the paleontology uh, chat is one of my all-time favourite chats I've had on the podcast so far. It's just fantastic We could have spoken for hours and hours and hours. We just condensed it down to one hour. Uh, when I say condensed it down, we just chatted for an hour. Uh, and then I imagine I'll have him on again and we'll probably talk about paleontology a bit more. I, was, I mentioned to him in the podcast about um, him and Josh um, because obviously Josh I do science but simple with, uh, him and Josh coming, like, being on the podcast and chatting about things, because, you know, Josh with a degree in marine biology and, uh, Wayne with a degree in paleontology and then me just a prat who just got through college, um, so, yeah, the future looks bright, anyway, I am going to stop rambling now, all the links and all that sort of jazz are, um, are in the, the info of this episode for all of Wayne's, or both of Wayne's books and whatnot, um, I'll keep anyone posted with anything else that he releases over the coming years on social media and all that sort of jazz. And I just wanted to do a quick shout-out to the Now That I'm Older podcast, who gave Genuine Chit Chat a shout-out, which I'm always super appreciative of. So make sure you guys go check out Now That I'm Older. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys, and I'll be back at the end. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. what I want to do with it is I want to make it so that when people come on it like um, yourself or any of my other mates I want to or any other people I know it's free to come on I mean we've We've just in this, uh, obviously been over for a couple of hours and we're just chatting and catching up. we haven't seen each other in so long. It's like, well, you can have a conversation with you and Josh. Uh, cause I've had three people on the podcast at once because the mic's quite good for picking mm-hmm. up a lot of things. Can have a big conversation about politics. We can have one, um, you know, about religion and that sort mm-hmm. of ideologies. And cause you're very, uh, well adverse to religion. And my mate Dom is so maybe organizing something like that. There's obviously, obviously you're wearing a Killing t-shirt I like that. There's music. There's movies. There's all your travels across everything. So it's just, there's such a, Almost putting it into an hour is almost, uh, it's kind of like diminishing it in a sense because Mm. there's just so much we can talk about. So um, yeah, so we'll we'll start then. Uh, Guys, I'm with my buddy Wayne, who uh, up till today I hadn't seen in about five years, I think, I think it was, uh, I think I said seven a minute ago, but I meant five, of um, college and we went to the same secondary school together and um, Wayne's been a busy boy. Uh, We're going to have two podcasts, we're going to aim for that wayne's written two books um and also has a degree in paleontology uh and has traveled around a lot of europe and that sort of thing looking at basically fossils in layman's terms for everyone um so what we'll do is um this podcast will be about the author um will be about him being an author and about the books primarily and then um, we'll do another podcast about uh paleontology i think as well so well let's uh let's make it easy let's start from kind of the very start so obviously from from college, where when did you begin? When did you begin thinking about like writing a book? When what was the sort of the trigger in a sense to make you you think you want to get into publishing that sort of jazz? Uh,
1: the trigger for writing a book uh, basically came from wanting to hear my have my opinions viewed. Yeah. Basically, um, because up until that point, it was a case of you were always under the dogma. If you didn't vote, your mm. voice didn't mean anything. Mm. Or if you have an opinion and it's too strong for someone you shouldn't view it you yeah. shouldn't voice it and if your voice isn't going to carry any sort of power you shouldn't even like you know display it uh, at yeah. uh, any sort of point at all but through history we see people standing up for what they call you know right we have um Emmeline Pankhurst you know standing up for women's rights mm. you have Martin um, Luther King Martin Luther King yeah and you have So many people standing up for things that they believe in society is is either wrong or misguided or could be done better. Now that basically got me thinking, right, okay, obviously we came out of school from English literature with, with pretty decent grades, so we thought, okay, fine, you know, let's let's try our hand at it. In school, it was a case of I watched um, a very classic film, The Blob. It was like 1953. I I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it, yeah. It was like, do you know what? This would actually be a really decent horror movie if it had a decent story to go by. I mean, you know, taking the CGI aside and the (laughs) casting as well, it's not a bad film, you know. And you think to yourself, right, okay, this could have sort of like John Carpenter's The Thing elements about it. And because Mm. that was based off a book um, by uh, Edward Steeple... Uh, Holt Who Goes There, because it was based off of that book it seemed to add another element to it and it mm. made it so much more scary because you could never tell who the thing was. Because it had this ability to duplicate people at a whim, mm. you could think oh okay, they've nailed it in that guy and then the guy who's just killed that version of it is carrying it himself and yeah. you're just like, oh my god, you, you never know. You know. It's a complete mind blow up until the last moment. Mm. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll rewrite the blob you know who who am I gonna cast for it? Let's just add a few school friends. You yeah. know, so I put a load of school friends in there, and I sort of came away from it halfway and thought, no, it's not really going to amount to anything. And then I came back to it through uni. Um, it was actually uh, going through quite a quite a trialing uh, period uh, halfway through the first year um, to spare. Most of the details, uh, our life pretty much took a took a turn for the worst. Um, I found myself in, in a pretty, pretty dark place. Um, but through it all, basically, I, I came out thinking, do you know what, I'm not going to be ignored anymore. I'm not going to have people that were so close to me at one point and, and, and not hear me. I'm not mm. just going to be a whisperer that can just be snuffed out, yeah. you know, the whole point you know a lot of people can can turn around and say it was an accident that we're here or it's for a purpose or whatever i i would sooner believe in purpose because the world only changes if you agree it's going to change mm. and if you stand to change it yeah so basically i started writing a light in the mist when i came through that experience because i thought the, the best thing about going through experiences in life is then you can help people that might be experiencing the same thing. Hmm. You know, we're we're highly influenced with our music and all that kind of stuff, which is constantly telling you to build others up around you, t- constantly encouraging you. If you don't like the way the world is, make it better. Make hmm. it a better place. Be the beacon of hope for everyone that the world might not be offering right now. So this is what we hope to create. Plus the fact, you know, it's it's almost like giving you... Um, you know, whether you believe in a a deity or not, it it gives you the power of a God Mm. because you're able to create your own world. You're Mm. able to control and manipulate every event in that world. Mm. And it can go exactly how you've envisioned your own life or whatever adventure you come up with yourself. So you might think to yourself, do you know what? I failed in a certain um, area of my life. So I failed, you know, maybe I haven't been so adventurous, Mm. you know. So you write the perfect adventure story. Yeah. Or perhaps i failed at relationships you might you write a romance yeah yeah uh, stereotypically you think oh you know any guy that writes a romance they're, they're just mushy or, or <laughs> sappy or whatever but you think no actually there's a there's a lot of psychological elements you can actually get in there a lot of past experience and a lot of your own characteristics that you can portray in that you know some of the greatest films like oscar nominees you know and even not are based on romance. I mean, I was watching Ants last night, oh, a yeah. classic movie. Yeah. That is a romance through and through because yeah. it's about your, your average Joe mm. who doesn't think he has a chance with the princess of the colony and mm. yet they end up together at the end. It's like, mm. it's, it's completely sweet. And then going to the Oscar nominee, you've got Titanic. Yes. It yes. is a full-on, you know, romance. And it, you know, for me, it's it's completely an inspiration because nothing portrays the power of the wealth divide more than that. You know, and and that's another driving effect toward the books. But the main reason, getting back onto the point, um, is writing A Light in the Mist enables me to tackle either what I disagree with in the world or how something could be done better. So I'll tackle things, you know, and I I even put it in in the blurb. I'll tackle things like immorality, immorality, the wealth divide uh, racial prejudice stereotyping um the fact that individualism is disappearing you yes. know um you know people are, are
0: placed into neat categories you mm, know yeah. in, in such subtle ways nowadays labeling and things like that of all of that sort of size and sight and you always want to um society's trying to compartmentalize all of us into you know you're the millennials you're the this but they do it in america that it is quite bad with that sort of thing especially with one of the big things recently obviously was police brutality and black lives matter mm. is even i agree with black lives matter i obviously agree with that because i'm not a racist piece of shit but it's like even the idea of saying, like, all the police officers are racist against all black people. It's like, well, you're now... Now you're you're even saying all police officers being wrong. Like, there's an yeah. Ice Cube song, Fuck the Police. And it's like, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you agree with that ideology. But also, you can't just say, fuck them all. Because that's as yeah. bad as them saying every black person is a, a thief or a, a criminal or something. And it's like, well, you have to... Every person has to be looked at as an individual case basis, in a sense. And that's the problem. The problem with our judicial system and America's, and the problem with our political system and all these sorts of other things, is that they never want to say, this one thing can be okay. They want to say, you have to fit into these two groups. And if this group's got this ideology, and this group's got that ideology, and you have to fit yourself into one of them, rather than them changing to appeal to everyone. It's like, well, if you believe in you know free education then you're definitely on the left but equally if you believe in free education but you also believe in tighter immigration control for whatever reason which is you know there's a lot of arguments for that argument which i understand and i agree with to a degree it's like you if you believe in if you believe equally that say immigration should be tighter as well as um yeah healthcare should be free and education should be free you can't fit you either have to choose one or the other of those elements and you you have to then you end up going in this team of, you have to be team left or team right. You know, in America, it was Hillary or Trump, and both were horrendous candidates. And over here, it was Corbyn or Theresa May. And obviously, I'm a Jeremy Corbyn guy. I think Corbyn's great. But I didn't agree with everything he said. There were quite a few elements he had of certain parts, which I really didn't agree with. But you have to choose a team. And understandably, with the political system, it's a bit more difficult, even though you can have more like the French political system, you know, which is like, everyone gets, you basically, there's like, any party gets equal vote and you can choose for everyone and then the two that got the most there then go against each other just that one against that one and it's better than the sort of two party system we got but as you say with individualism it's the way our society's built up and the way the the sort of corporate elites and all that sort of stuff, they, they want to have us compartmentalised into this mm-hmm. thing. Because when you're an individual with an individual thought, you go against the grain. You start thinking about ways you can change the world, ways that things can be improved. And the people at the very, very, very top, not, not even the 1%, the beyond the 1%, 0.001%, they're the ones who own Walmart, who own like the CEOs of all the big businesses they don't want anything to change because they're the richest people on the planet they have no consequence for any of their actions and they control especially in America with lobbying and stuff they control the laws why would they want an average Joe to have an opinion because every one average Joe that has an opinion can be one person who disagrees with their ideologies so what you're saying there is it's got such a huge rippling effect of the entire the whole way the world works in a lot of ways Mm. of just don't stroke everyone with the same broad brush. You have to look at it individually. So, what you're even just at the grain, we haven't even gotten to the point of what the book's about yet. But even your your reasons for writing the book and your your sort of uh, mindset is a very uh, is re- refreshing. It's a very refreshing thing to hear. So, mm. so sorry with your book, yeah, the light in the mist, as you say, it was a uh, what. What other elements is it what's you've said what you've uh, you've been driving for what kind of inspired you to write it so what's the general idea of it what what's, uh, what's the premise in a sense if you can market it in a sense? Well, it's
1: a it's a backstory to the Jekyll and Hyde original uh, that was written in uh, 1886 yeah um basically it ends on a cliffhanger you know he, he he's just it starts off with Jekyll and he already knows how to separate his own consciousness he, mm. he already is aware of good and evil. He's already aware of how to make a potion. So he's got background in chemistry. Where did that come from? And he ends up hanging himself Mm. in the end. So you think, right, who wins in the inevitable struggle between good and evil? No one. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fine. So I thought, right, let's do, you know, not to do what so many films do and and say, oh, let's come up with a a origin story. And it's like, Mm. oh, man. But... This was the idea of how would he be able to see good and evil in someone? How would he be able to witness that on a day to day basis? And I thought, let's make him a detective because when you're in the courtroom, mm. you can see someone who comes in with the, with a straight baby face, and you think, oh yeah, they're the nicest person. They're a humanitarian. They they you know they're the headmaster of a school, and you think, oh wow, you know they they've got everything going for them. Then they're convicted of a known paedophile, and yeah. you think, wow. That evil has been residing there behind those glazed eyes. Yeah. And the judge is the only person who's been able to see that based on the evidence. And and that's the point. If you are witnessing the good and the evil in front of everyone, you're then going to ha- start having thoughts ab- about yourself. You're going to start thinking, well, does that evil reside in me? Mm. But it's also more of a, uh, a battle between like people that are that are more spiritually inclined because just as much as we try to be holy and we put on this face of self-righteousness you're still going to make mistakes nobody's yes. perfect mm-hmm. everybody perfect. that professes to be is wrong yes because as far as i'm concerned we're human you're going to make mistakes yes. it's
0: genetically in Printed into us. So it's almost how we evolved in a way, as we exactly. talked about earlier. It's like exactly. the way we evolved was gene mutations, which is almost things trying to copy themselves yeah. and little bits not being copied identically, which you could argue as a mistake. Yeah. But if it wasn't, evolution wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't even be individuals. It, exactly. You know, it would mean that every time someone has a child, all the children they have would be identical. It, that doesn't work. You know, as yeah. you say. So I agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah,
1: precisely. So you you come from there and you think right, okay, so there's always going to be a dark side to someone you know so and in exploring that myself you know you're listening to like you know goth music or rock music that's sort of on the darker side and yes some of the lyrics can be somewhat
0: provocative in certain ways yeah Yeah.
1: and you think okay yeah fine but there's always an underlying message Mm. you know and in the same way you have in the light in the mist Jekyll basically is finding himself. You know, so he's he starts off as your buy-the-book detective and he's like, right, we do it the way of the system and nothing else. Mm. And as he's going through this case, he starts to realise flaws in the system. He starts to realise that the system itself might actually be at fault and mm. that the, this evil that he's pursuing might actually be working inside the people that he's worked with his entire life. He then goes through, basically, it, you know, it's, it's Victorian London, so a lot of the... Um, history is, is sort of a, a good backdrop he's going through and just as the constabulary is finding itself within technology you know fingerprinting hasn't even been developed yet you know mm. not until 1903 so it's very much based on him just having to solve things literally just with his mind but we then start to pick up hints of Hyde. it's almost like he's been born with this alternate ego you know mm. almost like he suffers from a split personality disorder mm. So he comes up to a crime scene and he'll notice that things are glowing gold. And he'll think, well, why is it doing that? And he, he asks his um, assistant, James Flynn. He's like, you know, can you see that or can you smell that? He notices that his his um, senses are heightened. Mm. And James will turn around and be like, what are you talking about? No, I can't smell that perfume. No, I can't see that. That's not gold. What mm. are you talking about? And he'll see words, you know, and things that are invisible to the naked eye. He starts to realize that he has a sixth sense, perhaps even like an an out-of-body experience. Mm. And as he goes through, he starts to understand why he has this. And, you know, not to ruin the story, but as soon as he comes into the final confrontation with the evil, he finally discovers why he has this gift, why he's been given this gift. And then he's um, given the choice, what are you going to do with it? Mm, Basically, I see that then leads on um, to, to the end of the book, but all the way throughout, it's questioning, you know, it's, it's not so much creating a fence between good and evil. It's saying what can be perceived as good? What can be perceived as evil? What can be both sides of the fence It's mm. more about tearing the fence down mm. and having people stand firmly in the middle and say, well, we'll take aspects of this and we'll take aspects of that and we can sometimes mush them together. Yes, there are things that are clear cut. It's good or it's evil. Mm. But there are some things like, for example, a lot of people um, think, uh, you know, things like euthanasia mm. and abortion mm. are wrong. Yeah. In in on the one hand, it's, you know, you're, you're taking away a life. Yeah, mm. I, I completely understand that. On the other hand, as, as far as abortions are concerned, if it's medically a problem and it's going to involve the death of the mother as well, mm-hmm. completely understand that if yeah. it was not, expected, you know, if she was a victim of of some sort of sexual assault. Precisely. Yeah, you can understand that. Same with euthanasia. You would not wish to see your your dying relative, Mm -hmm. you know, um, endure pain Mm. and that kind of thing. You would wish them to be put you know, out of their misery, yeah, exactly. And me, from say. my
0: own, my own personal experience with my father um, dying of cancer, I mean, fortunately, he was ill for about a year and a half, and then the end of his life, the last month, he was in a lot of pain, but he got really bad the last week or so, and I was just thinking, I was like, in the last week, I was just like, I kind of just want him to pass away soon because he could easily, you get people alive in hospices for months, if not years, sometimes, and they're just on the verge of death, but the painkillers and almost their own human instinct of will to live is keeping them going when reality they want. To die, there's yeah. people like Tony Nicholson, uh, Nicholson, who was, or Nicholson, whichever one, uh, he had a uh, Motorin yeah. syndrome, which is uh, not dis- I think it's either the same thing or very similar to what Stephen Hawking has. and It's yeah, just it's, yeah. your body just shuts down. Yeah. And it's just your mind is still awake. And he said he wanted to die, mm. but because he couldn't move, the only way he could die would be if his wife was the one to kill him. Yeah. But if, even if she took him to, uh, I think it's either Sweden or Switzerland, somewhere like that, where they have um, assisted suicide, where you can have euthanasia, if she took him there and came back, she would get done for, she'd get arrested because you'd be punishable by helping suicide. Yeah. And that's illegal. And it's just like this backward system of there are so many, as we were just saying, there's so many grey areas in life. And you're saying about this whole, uh, the the brilliance, uh, like I hadn't looked further into the book because I wanted to speak to you about it first. Mm. So I can really, almost like with the listeners, have all the new information straight away and i just think the idea of that of the, having the two the split personality of the jackal and the hide um sort of archetype archetypes of just good and quotes and evil and then having the human vessel being like the thing of fighting the two things fighting within them is parallel to almost every human as you say like there's no one who's a saint and mm. that's a problem that i find with certain uh, religious, uh, organizations. When you have someone like the Pope or certain priests, you often see, obviously, with uh, a lot of the pedophilia that's happened in the Catholicism mm. and things like that. It's like, because you have these people who are expected to be 100% pure, the, the darkness within them that may have only been a flicker mm. ends up becoming this huge, embering, big fire of, in quote unquote, evil, which they can't curb until it's too late. And then it comes out in this horrendous way exactly. with, with those being, you know, sexual deviants and things like that mm. and doing horrendous stuff to children. It's like, every human has got this this battle within them you know every time every time you have an argument with someone there's a part of you that just wants to either yell at them or sometimes be violent towards them mm-hmm. and then also when you see people on the street like homeless people most people who aren't psychopaths you look at them and some there's part of you that goes I just want to give them all my money and bring them in and help them but you know that not only is that not a realistic thing that maybe it wouldn't help this individual or that your own life can't uh, adhere to such a massive change in your life you can't have the burden of taking on this other human and mm-hmm. caring for them it's every decision you make in life is almost the the idea of the good and the evil fighting and whichever one comes out is the decision you make and breaking down what what you think is the good and what you think is the evil and making it much more of a we're just human you know apart from the obvious sort of clear-cut things it's just you're human and you have to delve into the darkness to sometimes realize what the light can be and vice versa and it's so you saying about that just makes it sound incredibly interesting of Using the, uh, in a sense, the template of the Jekyll and Hyde Mm. to explain human imperfections is just, it's fantastic. And it it sounds like riveting. It sounds, in fact, very, very interesting. I'll have to, certainly have to look into that. Um, and that sounds like the kind of thing that you said, um, we'll go on to your second book in a moment, but, um, you said that. You're thinking about a whole series and you've got ideas for all these sorts of other things. The, the way you've just described it to me immediately screams Netflix show. Like, I'm not saying that you're writing this just so it could be a Netflix yeah. show, but like I find that a movie wouldn't be able to, wouldn't be able to almost articulate the, the detail of the points you'd need for this because I imagine with it, uh, with it being a case sort of thing with a detective, an episodic would be perfect because it wouldn't be a rush. It would be, like each episode is a step in the right direction like uh, I know it's not the same same sort of thing but have you seen Breaking Bad yeah like that would work as a film because the change of him in two hours even if it was a three hour film probably wouldn't quite be enough there's a film like Wolf of Wall Street that managed to pull it off that's a fantastic movie but that's a very long film Mm. but if you had Breaking Bad as a film Probably a pretty good film. Yeah. But as a series, you get to see over time the change mm. and the, the transformation that's so human of this man who only wanted to do it for his family and it yeah. just becomes more and more corrupted by his own he delves into the darkness to save the light, but he ends up going so far in the dark that he mm. gets trapped there and it's all all the best shows relatively all the best shows are just they boil down to just the human condition. Mm-hmm. And what about it? Like, when you can relate to characters in a show, that's when they've got the most. They're, they're the most famous. They're the most popular. Yeah. Game of Thrones is a great example. There's so many characters. Everyone finds someone they connect with, and mm-hmm. because there's such a wide variety in certain characters that have been in the show for so long, you solely, you show how people and experiences hit them and affect them and change them and what mm-hmm. it makes them do, and all the f- the ways that different humans that are we're almost wired in similar ways from the start but because of genes and experiences it changes who you are mm-hmm. and with this it sounds like every case he does it changes him a little bit and as he's getting to terms with himself and getting to terms with the the two parts within him fighting is every step he takes he's learning and understanding more about it so it sounds incredibly interesting it it sounds like the the depth that you can go into just on this premise like I haven't read the book just even not even speaking about the actual in-depth plot list. How far you can go with it. That's to me sounds like episodically that would be fantastic. So mm-hmm. I think that'd be excuse me. I think that'd be a good lead on to uh, the second book, uh, which is Scarecrow. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: So would you like to um, vaguely describe the premise of that in a sense, and sort of your ideas of future books and what's sort of going on with that then? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. uh, it follows on from the first one. Um, not to basically spoil the first one, but mm. basically the protagonist ends up disappearing and we pick up the story from the point of view of a different protagonist now he himself has come from a pretty um model past you mm. know he's been involved in every underworld criminal organization you can imagine mm. and he's forever trying to escape that past mm. you know so he's gone to oxford university he studied to become a pathologist and he's basically like okay that's fine right but the criminal organization that Jekyll stumbles upon in the first one he actually was a part of them. Ah, I see. So the protagonist who's wanting to escape that criminal organisation, hmm. they're not quite through with him yet. So they, um, you know, commit a murder and he finds himself roped into this case. And, you know, before he's even realised it, it's screaming, this criminal organisation. He's picking up calling cards and all these different kinds of things. And he's thinking, oh no, you know, my past is coming back to haunt me sort of thing. Yeah. What you then don't realise is... As part of this criminal organisation, again, it tackles the same thing as Jekyll with the, the split personalities. I love mm-hmm. it. I, I, I use it uh, in every book that we've got planned for the series. There's mm-hmm. always a split personality or some differentiation of personality to, mm-hmm. to get the right balance of this good and evil construct. Yeah, yeah. And with this, with Scarecrow, it's an embodiment where he actually sort of places his alter ego but into an object you know some people will focus um their own ambitions into something so you'll hear a lot about um you know psychopaths that will oh god told me to do it or Mm. they'll put a mask on and say it was the mask that was talking to me well Mm. it's it's similar to that basically scarecrow is just the mask of a scarecrow you know it's nothing more Mm. but To the main protagonist, Jack Oliver Lantern,
0: which is Jack Oliver Lantern. Lantern. That's good. I like that. That's pretty good. I love little pun names and stuff like that. It's fantastic. I love that sort of thing. Yeah. (laughs) So
1: he he comes in and he's sort of like, he's got this shrine downstairs beneath this asylum that he owns. Mm. And he basically comes to the mask and it's almost like it has power over him. He can hear it, you know, speaking to him in the background, even as full on like arguments to the point where he'll, he'll you know strike the wall with his fist and you know his doctors he'll be working in the asylum he'll be you know create um conducting post-mortems and they'll they'll sort of be looking at him as if to say you know is everything all right and he's like yes yeah, it's fine it's fine it's just too noisy in here mm. and they're all like okay fair yeah. enough you know but the good thing is he tries to cover it up by again being the humanitarian you know trying to be the good person because he goes out into the streets of london and obviously during that time the east end of london was was an absolute you know purple yeah it's basically like the slums that you would find in brazil or you know sao paulo or something like that mm. um basically it's it's like the modern version of, of most of the adverts you see for unicef or water raid yeah yeah it was you know absolute derelict conditions but what he does is he goes out and he gets these children and he says look if you are willing to come and work for me, I can give you an education that you would otherwise have to pay for. I can teach you pathology. I can teach you the skills, how to survive, and also imbue them with the skills that he's learned from the various criminal organizations. So Mm. if he's like, you want to know how to steal and not get caught, you want to know how to pick locks, you want to know how to get past the bobby, Mm. you want to know where they patrol, I can teach you all of that. Mm. You know, So it's, it's basically like he takes on his own flock, if you will, and he refers to them as ravens.
0: Okay, I see. So
1: it's sort of the whole Scarecrow watching over the field of of ravens. Brilliant. That's very
0: good. Yeah, I like that.
1: So they come in and when he's conducting his postmortems, he dresses up as this Scarecrow persona and he has them dressed in sort of like a Plague Monk type garb Mm. so that it fits the raven type persona. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's all happening sort of out of the public eye and if anyone were to stumble upon it, they'd think it was some sort of ritualistic cult. Mm. But he still dabbles... Um, in the sort of pathology, you know, he's he's still solving a crime in the midst of it all. Mm. But the idea is that it's sort of also based off the character from Scarecrow's Batman.
0: I see. Yeah. Now
1: the interesting thing was we actually found a way to uh, medically synthesize a fear toxin. Mm. You know, if you take um, if you take an extract from uh, a fungi known as Psilocybe semilanceata. I see. Yeah. right. Um, and you dilute it in 100 mils of methanol and then you combine it with cigarette smoke it actually gives the fear inducing toxin effect that you would expect to find in scarecrow's toxin from any batman movie wow okay yeah so what he does is he creates gloves um that can you know one can disperse the cigarette smoke one can just you know he has the sort of the injections and the indian rubber tubes leading up to it so that he can inject people with the psilocybin Mm. um extract Mm. and so sort of in the day he's doing everything by the book he comes across as your average detective by night he's sort of doing a a batman if you will Mm. and he's going out he's questioning the eyewitnesses but he's not questioning them he's basically putting them under the influence of a um, psychedelic Mm. and basically using fear to intimidate a confession from them Mm. this goes even further because it's almost like it meets the Saw franchise oh, okay. as well. Yeah, yeah. Whilst they're under the influence, he takes them back to his asylum where he has loads of torture devices that mm. he's either cooked up himself or taken from history. Mm. And what he does is he uses fear simply as the intimidation. So, for example, he'll put them in, um, let's say, the uh, the Judas chair. Mm. You know, he'll sit them in that and he'll put a corset round them that is wired with explosives. And he'll say, right, you have a minute to talk into this phonograph mm. and confess your part that you've played in the crime. And basically, if you don't say everything you need to in that minute, the course it's going to go off and there's going to be nothing left of you. Mm. But then, you know, so they'll stream out their life history, basically. And just before the time goes up, the trigger flicks, they realise the explosives are duds, yep. and that he's used fear and fear alone to coax out these confessions so it's not quite criminal. Mm. Then he injects them obviously with a with a sleep um, potion or whatever. Mm. Sedative. Yeah. And, you know, they, they wake up in their home not remembering anything, mm. you know, and anything they tried to say to the constabulary, oh, I was kidnapped by a scarecrow <laughs> who tried to intimidate. Yeah, that's really going to sound yeah. like a Hardcore alibi.
0: Exactly. So hmm. that's very intriguing. Yeah, that's uh, the the intrigue with uh, this, and it's obviously the future of the series as you're going into it is the. The human mind, as we were saying a little bit earlier, and just like, um, it's interesting that you brought up uh, psilocybin, because I mentioned uh, in my podcast with my friend Carla, we spoke about uh, hallucinogenics a bit with, um, and before the podcast we were discussing them a small amount where, of people who may recognise the, the the name, psilocybin is the one found in magic mushrooms mm. and also in LSD, um, and for years and years and years before um uh they were used um you know sh- people would know about shamanic rituals and things like that where that was primarily uh or peyote which is basically a way of ingesting a thing which it's for dmt you can because dmt is d- methyltryptamine, and this is a thing where people can go into like spiritual states and things like that and when you consume it it needs to be put with another thing which is what the um is basically it makes it digestible by your stomach and all this i'm not going to go into horrendous like details about all yeah. those sort of drugs and stuff but that's like a uh, scratching the surface sort of thing so you using you can put people in certain induced states with psilocybin and mm. a lot of other things so and obviously it's very clear that you've done your research and all these sorts of um, things which is obviously very good to hear from an author rather than just someone going uh, i have an idea of something crazy happening let's just put it down i assume you did quite a bit of research into sort of victorian era is it london you said yes it was it is, east, yeah. east london as when you said about the derek so yells right make sure i'm not remembering remembering wrong things and so you've done you know you research into sort of victorian style london as well as i imagine were you a fan of the uh, jack and hyde or g and hyde uh, books and things like that yeah uh, definitely yeah it's, it's one of those things where it's one of those there's a lot of older stories um which they're so groundbreaking in that you read them now, and some people feel like they uh, they don't pack the punch they used to because mm-hmm. there's so many things that have been made, which some argue, excuse me, some argue which are like um, I don't know, better is the wrong way of saying it because that's for computer subjective. But let's say that for one word, people go, I don't like the old G. and Hyde book because there's so many other versions of it that's better. but It's like, but people don't. Uh, they don't respect the groundbreaking sort of the change of literature when they had a a thing of saying humans have this I know it's not exactly the same but humans have this monster within them Mm. and saying that yes there's this one guy who had it but it's meant to be it couldn't say at that time everyone's got this monster Mm. because people would just be like oh that's stupid that's ridiculous but having this one person with it Mm. opens the door because it's like with a lot of people, if they have issues, what, if someone's got loads of problems, the best way to necessarily get them to uh, say, admit to them or potentially change their life isn't to hold them up to a mirror and say these are the things that were wrong with you. One of the best things to do is to show them other scenarios, other examples of things, of issues, and they connect the links in their own mind mm. of the parallels between that. And I think the one you were doing in this book, books rather, is um, is really interesting. And I assume each book, it's still going to have, as you said, the um, the good and evil, in a sense, sort of aspect of it. But I imagine it's going to be sort of tackling different angles from yes, this sort it's. of thing. And it's it going to be different characters, different perspectives of, mm-hmm. um, without spoiling anything, you'd have to admit to this if you don't have to, but is it going to be a generally same sort of time frame and just different perspectives of similar events? Yes, that's, absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Whenever I see, like, um one of the film series coming out recently is obviously the Cloverfield franchise. Mm-hmm. And even though many people argue a lot of the Cloverfield films aren't that amazing in that way, what I like the most about the third one coming out was, which paradox on Netflix, the film itself I didn't found, find was that amazing, but what I liked as it expanded the universe of. I love the same story being told from different perspectives. Mm. There's so many sh- uh, shows, a lot of them are sitcoms to be fair, but there's so many other things that come out where perspective is such a powerful thing mm. when it comes to uh, empathizing with other people, when it comes to personal experience, you know, when it comes to the law, as you know, when you mentioned with the judges and that sort of thing, and it's like perspective means everything yeah. because one perfect example which I think I was taught in school was a cube looks like a square from one perspective. Mm-hmm. You only need to rotate it ever so slightly and it's different. Yeah. But even with a, a prism, if you have a square-based prism, mm-hmm. but obviously uh, for people who maybe aren't fully aware, it's like basically like a pyramid. So if you have a pyramid but it's got four sides, you look at it from the bottom or the perfect top, it just looks like a square. Yeah. You rotate it slightly, it becomes a triangle and it's just like, that is obviously a ridiculous simplification of it all, but... Even something so simple as a shape of something, a different perspective can completely change your ideology of it. It then goes with the human mind and the psyche, and like you have people with mental illnesses, whether it's things as quite severe as uh, schizophrenia and those sorts of things with more vivid hallucinations, but dialing it down to social anxiety and depression, and just when people have depression or social anxiety, one thing to them, the exact same thing to someone else, doesn't mean the same you know someone with social anxiety if some person is giving them one second more eye contact than they used to they can then think that to the person who's given more eye contact they just they didn't even think about it they just looked in the eyes a bit more mm. but the person receiving that they can think oh they're staring at me a bit more they're doing this doing it. and all these mm. sorts of bits that can come into it so different perspectives From the same thing is so important as well as so intriguing because I imagine what you'll be doing as well will be there'll be an event that happen and the reader will think okay it's definitely in this way and then you have another person's perspective on it and it completely changes the way you view it and things and that sort of thing and it's it's very clever for you to be able to do that because it's much more difficult writing the same story not same exact but you know similar sort of event with different perspectives of it which give you different impressions of it while all still uh keeping a continuity rather than just having one linear constant story because that you don't have the same uh continuity issues but because if you and your if this is something very small but say for example the protagonist in the first two books they both see someone get murdered and there's a handkerchief uh, that's at the scene of the crime if one of them, if in your book you say it was in a heap on the left and the other one you say it was actually flat on the right even something so insignificant as that that would change how an individual would see the whole crime scene mm. so if you don't have uh the sort of the the mental sort of organization to be able to compartmentalize the right areas and to be able to remember each individual part of every story and all the different perspectives and also mixed in with that how if you don't want me asking me the books are they from first person perspective Is yes it first, they are so it's first person makes it even more in depth for that because you really have to write in a convincing way of you, have the char- you feel what the character feels in a way while also still being a reader and being able to analyse it to some degree. But obviously seeing things from perspective, especially with the first book it'll be like, is you'll think, this is empirical fact. This is what it is. And then the other book will open up the more doorways of everything the first protagonist saw maybe isn't the way they saw it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with the whole, uh, with you said, uh, with the protagonist being they see certain things in goals, see certain things that may not be there, obviously that, that kind of opens it up in a, in a, in a different way of... It's all about perspective. Hmm. So what you're doing with these books, that just sounds incredibly intriguing. You know, it, it's it's very it's very interesting. And it's when did you, with with this specific story, was it, has this kind of been a vague idea in a pipeline for many, many years? Or was it kind of one day inspiration kind of hit you in, in more of a thing? What, what was the sort of, the process of actually sitting down and fully writing the, the ideas down and that sort of thing? Was it quite a quick one or?
1: Yeah, um, it was pretty much, a decision made in a few weeks mm. basically um like i say as soon as i came through um the time in my life where i thought you know our voice pretty much means nothing i thought do mm. you know what would there's no time like the present yeah so you just you, you sit down and you start writing and you think actually this has got something good to it you know mm. when you've got when you've got passion and when it's almost like your inner voice starts going and it's you know it's almost like you're acting out in your head each different scene you know? yeah so i thought i'll invest in a whiteboard because I, th- I just attracted to the whole idea and i was just like right okay i'm gonna draw everything i want to describe every time I-, I had to make a description i drew it in sort of stickman image mm. and then i just built upon it so it was like mm. oh i can see this thing extra i can see this i can see this what i started with was everything that's historically accurate? Mm. So I can't just introduce a tram into Victorian London that <laughs> wouldn't have been there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, right, okay. These are the things that have to be there. What about the things that did that could have been around at the time? Because, mm. for example, you know, one could argue that the syringes that we've used in the second book they don't crop up until like I don't know um, three years after it's set. Mm. But you think, well, the metal was there. The encasings were there. The doctoral practice was there, just because it wasn't publicly
0: uh, distributable. Yeah, um, doesn't mean it doesn't it mean that it didn't exist. Prototypes, exactly, and that's that's one of the brilliance when you can do certain historical dramas um, and hi- historical set pieces and things, because you know there's a lot of book, there's a lot of films and crazy stuff that's out. I'm trying to think. If there's one that came to mind that I have half forgotten. Um, one. This is slightly different vein, but like a uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or mm. these sorts of things, where it's got historical accuracies but you kind of because it's it is a work of fiction that way and you've got your own twist on reality mm-hmm. you can be a bit more like well maybe, oh, marvel films and the new ones are quite like that especially with uh, the new black panther movie and it's like yeah and people go well that technology wasn't there for that time it's like well if if the resources the knowledge and the material was then mm-hmm. who's to say it didn't exist you know exactly. patenting you know for example with um with uh, nikola tesla and thomas edison mm-hmm. it was Tesla never wanted to patent anything. He wanted everything to be free, and he wanted everyone to have access to it. But Edison was the one who, I believe, ended up patenting, uh, patenting the light bulb and this sort of stuff. And people were like, oh, Edison made it. It's like, well, no. Obviously, we only know from history that we think Tesla made it. You could argue someone else may have made it. But for this example, we'll say Tesla made it. And it's like, well, just because it's not in public knowledge doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's, yeah. it's one of the things I've said to people about um, when you see with AI and robots and this sort of thing. Mm. There's a video of um, some robots walking, opening a door, and this sort of thing. And it was, it's crazy to watch. And I was like, that's amazing. But chances are the tech is actually beyond that because mm. they, they're actually... A lot of what, whether it's uh, scientists, whether it's the government, whether it's this, that, or the other, um, even movie making or script writing, you don't show necessarily the first thing you think of the initial thing you know when the next film that's going to win an oscar you're not necessarily going to have the person who's writing it constantly going on about it and showing you mm. all the time it's going to seem like it came out of nowhere when in reality there's books there's films there's there's a film which i still have yet to see which i really want to watch called boyhood mm. and it was uh, i think it's 12 or 13 years to make because it's a story of boyhood and it's the same kid actor and it's him growing up yeah. throughout so they filmed it over 13 years and like mm. Maybe when that's first in the pipeline, people talked about it a little bit and maybe a few people knew about it, but the film comes out and people go, where did that come from? It's been in the works for 13 years. The idea has already been out there. And um, one of the intriguing things that I'll uh, bring up as well is um, with inspiration, it, it's such a... It, it's very, very nice to hear you say um, about, you know, you were inspired and you were like, no time like the present, because that's kind of... That's what I've done with the podcast. It, it was just... It, it's... I've spoken to quite a few people who've got callings, whether it's um, Callum, who um, obviously he's in a band and stuff, and then I've got um, other friends who are doing other sort of passions. I mean, Josh is going into teaching, obviously you're an author. There's uh, Steph, who is on the podcast that will be released uh, today, actually, when I'm recording this. So when you're listening to this, it will be a couple of weeks ago. She's into YouTube, and she was just like, I just decided to do it because I kind of felt like it. And I found that with with podcasting, I mean, I with your, your, what you said earlier about purpose and things like that is... With the argument of whether or not life itself and the universe was created out of purpose or whether it was a mistake or whatever is not necessarily relevant to this mm. of just a lot of people you it doesn't happen quite as often now but some people still feel this way where they're always like but what's the meaning of life and mm. I remember watching Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy which is one of my favorite films ever yeah. that film was just brilliant and when it's like the brilliance of that computer being like 42. And everyone's like, wait, what? And it's like the whole brilliance of what the the writer of the books and things, uh, I think Douglas Adams, I think his name is, Mm. um, the brilliance of what he was kind of, I feel like he was kind of put across was that question is a moot point. There's Mm. no meaning of life because the thing is, it's whoever is living that life, they put their own meaning into it. If you want to be... Steve Jobs. I mean, a lot of people can criticise Steve Jobs for a hundred things. But if we just look at him, he wanted to change the world with technology. He fucking did. Yeah. He may not have made the first smartphone, necessarily. You can argue Windows made loads of mobile and tablets and this sort of that in earlier phases. But he was the one who fronted the company, who changed the market. He changed everything. And even though a lot of people who are super Android uh, people... I don't really give a shit. I've just got an iPhone for ease of iTunes, to be honest. But it's like... Um, I don't care what phone you've got, to be honest. It's... um he changed the face of it because he pushing forward this innovation and stuff because he had the vision. Mm. And him just doing that, one dude with a vision and a turtleneck, he, um, he pushed it and now we've got the internet and every piece of every information ever in our pockets. Mm. And that has changed everything. That's changed the way we communicate. That's changed the way we absorb the information. Even on like micro levels of you just, you're talking with your mates. Oh, yeah, uh, like, People coming to life, uh, comes of people first being uh, this incan inc- incarnation of humans. You know, Homo sapien. Mm. You know, what about Homo erectus? What about Neanderthal? What about all these sorts of other ancestries of it? We have this conversation. Um, we all have this uh, conversation, and we can just um, we can just look into it. We can just Google it. We can just find out immediately. Mm. And just Steve Jobs doing that, he had this this yearning, this vision, this desire to do it, and he did it. Yeah. And I find that with the podcast, I just it was it's so weird because obviously me per, my personal views i don't necessarily believe in a deity mm. but it does seem like something is kind of it might be your subconscious who knows what it is but it's not relevant what it is but what it does of yeah. just there's something to your core that something feels right mm. it's just something whatever you're doing in your passionate states, something is making you feel like this is just what i need to do in a sense yeah. whether or not it ever amounts to anything whether it's mm. just you writing all these books, I'd love them to become great and you become a famous author. But even if they didn't, it's it's a therapeutic way of getting your own, in a lot of senses, I imagine a lot of your own demons out, as well as mm. kind of helping yourself figure yourself out yeah. while writing all these sorts of things, as well as just spending time and putting time and effort pushing into a project. Mm. It's so healthy for people. You, you need a place to focus. Everyone's got their work that you make money for and it's not that great. But when it's like... When it's something that is your choice and you can go at your own pace, and mm-hmm. it's that it's if you have a week where you just feel a bit crap or you, you just you're busy, you don't have the pressure to do it, therefore, mm-hmm. you don't make this work potentially worse. It's, it's your own project, you yeah. do it when you want. You know, mm-hmm. this podcast I try and release every week, but sometimes, like last week, I was in Wales, I didn't have time. I couldn't, I could have stressed myself out and done it, but I was just like, this is my hobby, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make myself do something I really don't want to do just because it's no one. And that's one of the beauties of this book and this sort of thing. And it's like, what I love about one of the reasons I did a podcast and one of the things I like talking about Steph with YouTube and you with your book is when you can tell someone's passionate about something, Mm. you see their eyes light up with it and you, you know that it means so much to them. Letting someone just talk about their favourite thing is just... It's unlike anything else. You can have all these... There's great conversations you can have with people, about a hundred things. But a lot of the time in today's society, you get all these conversations that just... They're null. You, you, they're, they're null and void. They talk. They, you have this conversation, at the end of the conversation, you've gained nothing. It's just pointless. You talk about the weather for an hour. You talk about this for ages. You talk about all this shit. And it's just, I don't care about any of this stuff. But when you have someone who's truly passionate about something that they're really into, it's, it's so... It's almost enlightening in a way. And it's, it makes me... Makes me want to try better. And when I saw Callum doing his music thing and a few other of my friends pursuing their passions, I was like, "Why the hell not? Life is so short. Yeah. I could die tomorrow. What's the reason I'm going to give to not pursue my passion, to not mm. pursue my hobby?" So you doing this with um with being an author and how passionate I can see you are with your book and how intricate all the ideas are. It, it's incredible. And I I really the fact that you've had the the discipline within yourself to be able to write two novels and you're continuing to write more It is incredibly commendable so it's, it's fantastic so we're coming up nearish to the hour mark and I feel like I'd love to talk to you more about this but then we're going to try and do another podcast for something else so what I say is we'll wrap up this conversation for now take a little break get another cup of tea and um, we'll. What we'll, um if you just say repeat the names of your books where you're going kind to of find them and get them if there's any social media outlets or anything they can find you on or anything like that and just some final words and then um, we'll wrap this one up and then we'll get ready for the next one so if you want to just Self promote. It's time. You've 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 sold the book to us. I think it sounds like a great idea. Let's uh let's hear a little bit more about the the more the, the more not as exciting side of it. Yeah, <laughs> the more marketable side. Yeah, it's um
1: so it's called a light in the mist is the first one, and Scarcrow the second one. They can be found on Novum Publishing, and what you have to do is when you come up to the page, you click on books, then go to a section called Other and Miscellaneous. And it should be on the first page, and you can find it there. Otherwise, in three weeks' time, Scarcrow will be on Amazon. It's cheaper there as well, so I would encourage you to buy it from there. <laughs> <laughs> and the first one has been on there for about a year now. So, yeah, feel free. But obviously, we're endeavoring to get them into libraries all across. I'm already in touch with libraries in London. Um, as well as down here and up, um, Middlesex and, uh, Leicester sort of area as well. So we're trying to, we're trying to spread it because I know loads of people like they, they come up with a money making scheme and they're like, oh, it's not for the money. It's not for the money. Quite literally, it's not for the money. Hmm. It is about spreading a message of hope Hmm. to people and reaching as many people as possible and just encouraging them. You are the best person you're ever going to be. Any ambition you have. Fully go for it. Don't let culture hold you down. Don't let anybody um, denounce you. Don't let anyone convince you that you're not worth it, that you, you can't do it. Whether finance stands in your way, it doesn't matter. You can scrimp. You can save. It doesn't matter what walk of life you've had. For goodness sake, I've seen people that have made themselves into successful businessmen and women and they've come from completely destroyed walks of life. You know, they've, they've been former uh, drug addicts. They've been into prostitution, all these different kinds of things. Mm. And yet they have built themselves up because they refused to listen to people that would keep them down. That's the point. Mm. The whole point of all these books is to, yes, tackle the problems that we have in our own society. But it's to encourage you to get through them, basically. Um, all future books will be published through Noven Publishing, I hope. Um, I hope that coming out of the EU doesn't affect um, our relations because obviously they're an Austrian company. I hope it doesn't uh, make any difference. It shouldn't do. But if it does, obviously I can keep you updated. Um, basically, you can you can go on there and like I say, we'll be getting it into the library. So even if you feel like, oh, yeah, I want to get on board supportingly, but I can't quite, you know, manage what you're asking for it because, you know, I don't think it's worth twelve ninety nine to be honest. But. Get the ebook, <laughs> um, or I'm not a reader. That's that's a lot of the the um, reasoning that I get is I'm not a reader. I'll wait for the film to come out. I appreciate the fact that you have such faith in it, but pass it to someone who does read. Um, you know, because if we can spread the message, then you know we can help as many people as possible. Uh, is the idea? And like I say, all of them will be published through Novum, and then three weeks after its release date, it will be out on Amazon. And hopefully, um, as more get sold. Uh, We'll be pushing for it to get into the major superstores like WH Smith, Waterstones, Mm -hmm. Tesco's and the like. And then hopefully, you know, get bigger and better. But like I say, the idea is that this isn't just myself being an author. um, It's more about representing voices that otherwise can't speak. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I was was a big wrestling fan. Still am. There's no shame in admitting it. I like watching half-naked sweaty men wrestle. What can I say? (laughs) The point is, you know, the the divas are just as good. The point is, there was a superstar on there called CM Punk. He used to come out to kill switch this fire burns. It was the first thing that actually got me into metal. Oh, nice. Um, And he used to come out and he said, I'm the voice for the voiceless. And that has stuck with me like most of my life. And I thought, you know what? There is nothing better than representing so many people that can't speak for themselves. Because for all the adverts that come on, that you see and you think yeah okay that's that's a a real need and that needs to be solved there are so many things that aren't advertised that are still carrying on that have been carrying on for two thousand years for hundreds of years as we go back you know with all these different future books we have loads of different series planned i mean i can happily share with you i have
0: enough books planned to last me the next 56 years That's per, well, that's a good thing. That's, we want to hear this sort of inspiration. And I think everything that you've just said is absolutely perfect. And listening to this conversation with you, people should hear the genuine passion you have for all of this. And with a more in depth listen into what the sort of ideas of the books are, I think that'll really help people sort of get to grips with it. And it will show that you don't seem like you're just trying to sell it for money. It is, it is truly when it's a passion. Then it doesn't matter what financial things stand in your way, or even how "quote unquote" successful it is. You'll still just keep going. Yeah. So you know, whenever with all your excuse me with all your upcoming books and things like that, I'll make sure I share it on boom, excuse me social media on the genuine chit chat page and all that sort of jazz. And I'll include all the information uh, in the info of this podcast and on the YouTube links and all that sort of jazz. So um, thank you very much, Wayne. This has been absolutely fantastic. You know, your books sound amazing and as i said i put all the info in the uh in the descriptions and we'll stop this podcast here and um we'll continue the next one in a bit about <laughs> your degree in paleontology which is quite a different thing but um thank you very much for being on this thank you for having me and that's the end of the podcast as always thanks for tuning in guys um next week's episode as i said at the start is going to be with wayne once again but it'll be about paleontology where you know we talk about fossils and mass extinction events and dinosaurs and uh it's it's an absolutely riveting chat it's, it's loads of fun really interesting it's actually uh, one of the ones that i've been listening to myself not just when i edit it and that sort of things but like listening to it because there's quite a lot of information and i couldn't absorb it all in one sitting of just chatting with him um so i've listened to it again it's, oh, it's fantastic chat i can't recommend it enough um so that'll be released next week um and as usual guys you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook find us on itunes youtube stitcher and all the other usual places um and if you review us on itunes or stitcher or anything like that it's really appreciated um so thanks as always for listening guys and i'll talk to you next week